And I'm starting out here with a reminder of the passions of Manchester Creek. Because as we, as we begin here, it's not working. No. What's going on here? Can you start it over? Yeah, there it is. Well, that's the third one, I think. Yeah, the passions of Manchester Creek. That's where I wanted to start. <sighs> okay. Let's see if this works now. Starts with a passion for God. It's good for us as a, as a church, as we, as we start to move forward, as we're one church now. What are the passions of, of Manchester Creek? Who are we? What are we about? How are we going to get there? How do we become who we say we want to become? And, the, and one of it, it starts with a passion uh, for God himself. And, and why that? Because a passion for God, uh, we, we say, and what we want to have happen is that a passion for God inflames all that we do. We're always trying to examine what are we doing, why are we doing it, and, and are our passions for God himself being inflamed? Now, why is that? Well, it's because of this. Why? Because we are committed to learning how to live passionately for and like Jesus. That's why the reading guide right uh, this year is, uh, is subtitled, uh, Spending Time with Jesus and the Psalms uh, and, and the Prayer Life of Jesus. Why? Because the Psalms were, the, were what Jesus used to pray. And if we're, not, if we're not spending time with Jesus on a regular basis, we begin to drift. We begin to think, oh, I know who Jesus is. I, I know uh, what Jesus wants. And yet, if we're, and we begin to, our souls leak. We, can, we forget important things. So we need to be immersed in reading over and over and over the Gospels so that we see Jesus for who he really is. Because we'll be conformed to the image of Christ that we have. And so we want to, because we're committed to be, being people who live passionately for and like Christ, we want to be constantly learning how to do that. And so it begins with having a passion for God. And all the other passions that we have as a church flow from that number one passion. And why is that the number one passion? And why do all the other ones flow from it? Because they're, they're like strings of pearls that flow from that. If you have a passion for God, then you have a passion for his word. Because every word that God speaks is a word to us that we want to learn how to apply. And, and every, all of the other passions. And so from week to week, I'm going to remind us of those things because we don't want to forget them. But this week, we're back in Matthew chapter 21. Why are we back in Why are you saying that? We weren't in Matthew last week. Well, it's because uh, when we started that series on uh, new songs... Uh, it, this is the book that we were in, and I am following uh, John Calvin's uh, uh, approach. When he was chased out of, uh, out of Geneva by the elders of the city uh, in Geneva uh, years ago, and then uh, I think it was three, it might have been four years later, he was invited back. They said, well, we made a mistake, please come back. Uh, and he went back into the very church that he had preached in before he was chased out of. And... Uh, he opened up the scripture, he said, and he turned to, I think it was the book of Galatians, uh, and, and he picked up the next verse <laughs> that he was in four years before. 
because he had a job to do, and he was trying to expose the church to the whole counsel of God, and he was working systematically through uh, the Scripture. That's the model I follow as well. And so for, for, for Matthew, uh, Matthew's whole theme is that behold your king. He's trying to get us to know his king. And so the, here's a little review. Uh, he, the first uh, chapters 1 through 4 is a prelude to Jesus' ministry. It's before his ministry really starts. And then, and then Jesus' ministry in Galilee is chapter 4 through chapter 16, verse 20. And then uh, Jesus in Jerusalem, and that's the section we're in. And specifically, we are in that section because uh, when we're in that third section, Jesus is, is, is in Jerusalem. And specifically, we are in the start of the last week of Jesus' life. So the rest of, this, of the book of Matthew, from chapter 16 to chapter 28, is the last week of Jesus' life. Sometimes getting these overviews is really important to see what's important in the life of Christ. What does he want? What do the gospel writers want us to focus on? What, the, what did Jesus want us to focus on? This is what he's recorded. This is what his, his spirit has inspired. For instance, when you go to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 11 is the last, you're in the last six months of Jesus' life. When you get to chapter 13, you're in the last 18 hours of his life. And chapter, chapter 13, 13, that's how they count in Germany, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, cover the last, 24, no, last 18 hours of Jesus' life. In other words, the atoning sacrifice of Christ is a big deal. What Jesus does on the cross is a really big deal, and we can't stop meditating about that because our souls leak, and we forget really important things. And so all of the Gospels focus on the last week and the last hours uh, of Jesus' life. And as he, he, we're in that last week, um, Jesus is going to the temple. The day before, uh, he had come to the temple. And this is going to be his pattern uh, from um, uh, Palm Sunday towards uh, working towards Good Friday. He comes into the temple in the morning. He teaches uh, he goes out of the temple in the evening. He goes to uh, um, the Mount of Olives where he uh, camps out in the morning. He comes back in on, on Monday and on Tuesday and on Thursday. And, uh, and then we start to see the final uh, working, the last hours of his life. And he's continuing to teach. He's continuing to preach because this ministry of preaching and teaching is really important uh, to, to finish off his, his ministry and, and to, to educate people about what he is doing. And as he goes to the temple, uh, when he gets there, the chief priests and the elders of, of the city have set a trap for him. Because on Palm Sunday, when he came into town, uh, just like at the beginning of his ministry, the temple is again defiled. They have again, they've started up again bringing in uh, animals into the temple area. And, uh, and Jesus goes in and he upsets the money changers. And he throws them out. And he, 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 he does a lot of things that upset the chief priest and the, uh, and the elders uh, that, are, that are there uh, in the temple precincts. And that happened on s Sunday. And then he went home. He went to the Mount of Olives, camped out, and he's coming in the next morning. That's where we're picking up the text. And they've set a trap for him because they didn't like what happened on 
Sunday. That's where we are. And so Jesus comes into the temple, and they are ready uh, for him. They are ready to uh, kind of back him into a corner and ask him some tough questions. And there's three events in this chapter that emphasize Jesus' lordship and his authority. In fact, as you read the the Gospels, one of the things... (coughs) By the way, I'm not contagious. I will cough a lot but I'm not contagious. It is allergies, okay? Just so you know, you don't have to say unclean, unclean when I walk by. Um, uh, It's just allergies. But these three events in this chapter, uh, Jesus is going, will confound them in every step that he takes. Because as he begins this last week in this teaching, things are going on. First thing that happens in this chapter is the triumphal entry is when he comes in on Palm Sunday. And people are saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that triumphal entry emphasizes that he is the king of this royal city. And this upsets the priest. Second thing that happens when he, when he uh, cleanses the temple Uh, It emphasizes that he is the king, not just of the city, but of the temple. He is the Lord of that temple. And this upsets the priests and the elders. And the third thing that happens is the cursing of the fig tree emphasizes that he is king of creation. So all of these things have occurred, and now he comes in on Monday. And they've got a question for him. And the question, because they're so upset, is that all those events uh, have gotten under their skin of the chief priest. So when Jesus arrives, they have a question to ask him, and it's related to his authority. You can see it in verses 23, verse 24, and verse 27, the places where that word pops up, it pops up in the mouth of Jesus at one point, and it comes from uh, them as well. So with that, if you would, Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? And I'm just going to read verses 23 through 27. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching. And they said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? The image I have is that they are, uh, they are, he's teaching and they interrupt him with this tension. Next verse. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, We don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you what authority 
I do these things. By what authority I do these things. God's word for us. You may be seated. By what authority do you ask these, uh, do you do these things? What are the, these things that are being referred to? Well, the things that are being referred to are uh, the cleansing of the temple, uh, the teaching that he's doing, the healing that occurs. If you read the first uh, 22 verses, there's some healing that he does in the temple precincts. And they, all of this stuff upsets them. In fact, we, we know from earlier reading in the Gospels that when Jesus healed people, I, I referred to one of the incidents last, a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus healed people, like the man with the withered hand, the, one, of the, one of the Gospels tells us that they were, instead of celebrating the great thing that had happened, they were furious with Jesus. Because he, they didn't want to believe him. And so they couldn't see the truth right in front of them. So Jesus comes back with this question. It's a typical rabbinical kind of response. Uh, You enter into into a debate. A a new teacher is there, and he says uh, things, and uh, and people uh, interact with him. and, uh, And so they interact with him, and he answers as a typical Jewish debater with a question back. They have a question for him. I got a question. I got a question for you. Here's my question. You answer this question, I'll answer your question. You you, you answer this question, I'm I'm for you. I'm I'm, going to answer the question. Here's the question. And he goes back to John the Baptist's ministry. Now remember all of the things that John the Baptist said, Remember? They, they came and asked him, who are you? And he said, are, 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 you the, are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? He said, no, I, that's not who I am. I'm the one who comes before. I prepare the way for the one who is to come. The, the sandals of his feet, I'm not worthy to untie. The ministry of John, what was it about? Well, this is what he was saying. When he comes... I, he, he is before me. He existed before me. And by the way, who, who's older, humanly speaking? John the Baptist is humanly older, right? So John's aware that Jesus is an eternal being. He's, 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 he's moving in that direction. And, and then Jesus comes down to be baptized, and John baptizes him. But before he does, he points and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then when Jesus was baptized, you remember what happened? There was a voice from heaven. My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus goes back to John's ministry. He says, the ministry of John. Where did it come from? Was it from heaven? That's a, that's a metaphor. It's a, a polite way of talking about God without mentioning his name, which is a Jewish thing that they don't want to actually mention the name of God. It's too holy to be mentioned. And so you refer to God as heaven. Did, was it from God or was it from man? 
That's his one question. And they step back and they say, let's take a look at it. By what authority do you do these things? The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or from men? And he said to them, my things are not working the way they should be. But if we say from, just look at your Bible. <laughs> Let's not waste time with that. From heaven, the baptism of John, uh, and they discussed among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, now listen, listen to what they say. Why then did you not believe him? In other words, they understood that John was calling people to believe in Jesus. And all of his pointing and the voice and all of the things that he said, that he was the way preparer, all of it came down to this. There's one coming who has authority. And you should believe in him. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what this one simple question. I, I have one question for you. You answer this question, I'll answer yours. And they say, rightly, well, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, why then didn't you believe him? Believing in Jesus Believing in what Jesus said, believing in what Jesus proclaimed, believing Jesus' word, having a passion for his word, wanting to live according to his word, wanting to obey his word, wanting to obey him is a big deal. If we say, well, if we say that it was from man, then the people believe that John was a prophet and we fear them. They have a greater fear of men than they have of God and of God's prophet, John the Baptist. <coughs> Excuse me. So, what are some takeaways? Briefly. The truth will only excite you when you are ready to believe it. The truth about Jesus will only energize you and move you when your heart is ready to humbly bow and believe in Him. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders and the chief priests of Jerusalem were not willing to believe. And so they're not excited about it. Men and women are getting healed all around them. In the Sunday school class, we talked about the paralytic. You remember that story of the paralytic being let down through the roof and the dust is cut everywhere <laughs> and Jesus is moving out of the way, you know, because the four friends are putting this guy down through the roof and, and, and then Jesus um, says that he's going to heal him. And he tells them, 
your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, they don't want to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't want to believe in John's testimony. And so they say, who is this man that he would, that he would say that he can forgive sins? It's blasphemy. And Jesus, trying to call forth belief again, because everything hangs on his authority and believing in him, everything hangs on that. He says to them in that, in that instance, <coughs> not to cough, <coughs> um, he says to them, um, which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or take up your pallet and walk? Well, Jesus is an excellent logician. Which, which is easier? Well, you know, right? Which, which of those two phrases are easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because you can't see it. Then Jesus says, so he, has, he poses that question. That has, question is hanging in the air. Everybody's drawing that conclusion. Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because, you know, like, if a guy doesn't stand up and walk, that's a, diff- that's a different story altogether, right? You've got, you got to have proof with that right there, then and there. So now with that hanging dramatically in the air, Jesus asks, says, but in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now he turns to the power, paralytic, he says, I say to you, take up your pallet and walk. And you hear this in the room. <gasps> As the guy gets up. And, and he walks out. Maybe, maybe as he's walking out and going some other place that he hasn't ever been able to walk to, maybe, maybe he walks by Matthew's tax booth. And, he, and Matthew recognizes him. Or maybe he says something as he's he's going by Matthew's tax booth. He says, I can walk. Jesus healed me. And in the next passage, Jesus is walking down the road and he comes by Matthew's tax booth and he says, follow me. And he picks up his stuff and he follows Jesus. Because he's believed in the evidence. He's believed in the proclamation and he walks with Jesus. See, the truth only excites you when you're ready to believe it, but when you when when don't want to believe it, when I, I don't want to follow Christ. I had a guy say to me one day, um, this was back in my college years, I'd written a, uh, an article to the, the student newspaper and, uh, and I, was, I was discouraged because all these other people would write things to the student newspaper promoting this or that. And it would, it would produce all of this conversation and debate on the campus. And that's what I wanted to have happen. I wanted to write a letter to the editor to present the gospel. And um, very rarely did people, I had a couple of them published, and very rarely did people respond back. And so I was talking to one of my fraternity brothers who was not a believer. And... Uh, uh, and he said, uh, well, why, why won't, I said, why won't people engage with it? And he says, because you're logical. <laughs> I said, so then I turned it on him. I said, well, what, what about you? 
And, and, he, and he said, well, why, why won't you believe? And he says, because, he was very honest, because if I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, I have to change my life. Yeah, yeah, that's the issue. See, the truth doesn't excite you unless you're willing to receive it, unless you're willing to embrace it. And the truth about Jesus is incredibly, exaltingly exciting. When you bow in humility and say, he really is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus takes them in this moment, he takes them all the way back to that, to John the Baptist's ministry. This has been, I, John the Baptist was teaching it before my ministry started. My ministry is now over. I'm in the last week of my life. Uh, this has been the consistent ministry of John the Baptist and me. John came and pointed to me, you should believe in me. And there's a certain number of people that are really excited about that. And there's a lot of people who weren't. There's more people that believe that in this room right now than believed in this, in the upper room, after Jesus died. Think about that. We can take over the world for Jesus if we believe. Truth only excites you when you believe it. And something else we need to take away is, is this. Everything hinges on Jesus' authority. Everything. If Jesus is who he says he is, his authority is to say anything he wants to to you. And what you ought to do is obey. What I ought to do is obey. Because Jesus has the authority. Well, I don't... I don't you know, what Jesus is asking me to do is hard. And? So? What, what, we, should, we should embrace doing what Jesus calls us to do. Because I, last time I checked, he was Lord. Not us, right? Everything hinges on Jesus' authority. By the way, that fraternity brother, he eventually came to Christ. I didn't lead him to Christ. It was one of, my, uh, one, of the guy, one of the other guys that I led to Christ who led him to Christ. About four years later from that conversation. But we're always sowing seed, right? We're always telling people, you ought to believe Jesus. Because he has the authority. In fact, the, the end of this gospel, authority is the issue all the way through this, this book. But what's the last verse, you know, last few verses of, of the book of Matthew say? Jesus says, he's about to ascend, all authority in heaven and in hell, all, have, have, all authority have been given to me on heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember this. You're supposed to be teaching them everything that I taught you. Teaching them to obey. And remember this. I'm with you always. 
even to the end of the age. Has the end of the age come? Does Jesus still have all authority? Is the command still valid? Are we supposed to be doing what, the teaching others everything that Jesus commanded? Yes. Why? Because he has all authority. <laughs> everything hinges on this. It's why we have a passion for him and his word and for God. And maybe this is the final thing that falls out of that. And that is, because of his authority, unbelief is not an option. Marty says something, and it's just Marty. Any of us in this room says something, and it's just us. But when Jesus says something, we need to take that very, very seriously. So all of us should be fishers of men. Now sometimes I talk about all of us should be fishers of men, all of us should be telling people the gospel, and people get upset because they know that they don't have the gift of evangelism. Can I, can I give you a secret? Neither does your pastor. Some of you uh, have tried to share your faith with other, other people, and you haven't had much success. And you say, you know, that's for other people, so I, I'll, I'm just going to live holy, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to worship the King. Um, I'm going to try and I, I'm going to hope that people ask me questions. That's all good. But you're still not off the hook. Because all of us are supposed to be fishers of men. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Now, hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying, though. I'm not saying any of you are going to catch fish. Fishermen fish. They don't call it catching, they call it fishing. Right? It's not, it's not called catching, it's called fishing. Fishermen fish. Do fishermen like to fish? Yes, but you know what? Some of you are really good fishermen and some of you aren't. In real life, it, with fish. And the same thing is true spiritually. All of us, because we love Jesus, because we belong to Jesus, because we have a passion for God and we have a passion for his word and because we believe in the authority of Jesus and because we know who he was, all of us are supposed to be fishing for men. It doesn't mean you're ever going to catch anyone. But like my fraternity brother who I planted a seed in and somebody else caught him, that's what, the, that's what most of us are doing. So I've had people come up and say, you know, you say that we all need to be fishers of men. You know, I've never had much success. How can you say that? I said, well, see, I said fishing and you heard catching. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about telling people how much Jesus means to you and that he's the greatest lover in the world. And that he's forgiven your sins. And then living a consistent life in front of people. fishing and praying and being bold not because you're really effective but because frankly most of us aren't I'm, I share the gospel all the time but I, I I've led some people to Christ but not you know I'm no Billy Graham but we keep fishing because he's our Lord and he's worthy isn't he he's worthy of everything that we can give him. Because with all of our giving, 
we earn nothing because he paid it all, all of it. And so we, we tell other people because he's worthy. I'm a baseball fan. My wife doesn't understand it, most of it. Baseball team, when I, you know, I start, you know, we get longer days and I start thinking, hey, by the end of this month, the season has started. I can't wait to watch the Phillies. I know you've got other teams, but my team's the Phillies. And I'm going to watch a few baseball games this year on the television, and my wife is going to be in another room, and then she's going to hear me say, wow, what an incredible play. Honey, come here, come here, you got to see this. You will never see a double play like this. I mean, watch what, this, watch what just happened. It was just extraordinary. And she's scratching her head like, I married this guy. <laughs> You know? See, when you, when you understand the game and you understand how hard that play is and you've played the game and you've tried, you know, you understand the dynamics of throwing the ball over there when your body's moving this way or when your body's moving that way and, and what it takes to get that ball out of a glove in uh, 3.2 seconds there to over to the first base to get the guy coming at first and you see it all happen in front of your eyes in, in 3.2 seconds, 3.3 seconds and it all happens. It's in and out of two gloves and it's just, it's just amazing and you understand the game and you see it. You can't help but be excited and tell somebody else. You can't help yourself. And the gospel is pleading with us to be excited about what Jesus did and to say to the world, come here, you've got to see this. You've got to know him. You have to see him. You have to know him. You have to know that he has the authority to do these things. He has the authority to forgive sins. He has the authority to look at the corruption in my heart and the corruption in your heart. And he has the, the, the authority to say, your sins are Is that not extraordinary? One of my African-American brothers in, in college, he looked at some of the white guys on the campus and they'd say, I'm so excited. And he would say, let your face know. Oh, men and women, let's, let's be excited about Jesus. Let's tell the world about Jesus. Because he's worthy not just when you're singing a wonderful tune that you attach great memories to. He's worthy every day. Amen? Amen. Now, I've got a brief meeting with all of you afterwards here um, to talk about architectural things. And I got a brief meeting back there with, a, with the ushers because uh, Joe isn't here today, and he asked me to take over for him there. It's going to be 15 minutes there. And then I'm going to be comatose the rest of the afternoon because this weekend has been emotional. Because I love you, church. I love you. And I love Judy.
but I'm exhausted. But I'm excited. Whether it's on my face or not. Because God has brought our two churches together. And our church is growing. God is doing incredible things in and around us and among us. There's battles, there's spiritual battles that are being fought that you are fighting in your lives that nobody else knows about. There's spiritual battles that are being fought in my life that very few people know about. There's battles that we will need to fight, but never forget we serve a Lord who has authority. And it's the best message we could give to the world. Amen? I want the worship team to come. And they're going to lead us um, as we finish off this morning and worshiping and singing of our King and to our King and reminding one another with our voices that He is worthy. He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Let's remember that.